0: All right, we'll take your Bibles this morning and open to Romans chapter 1. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've taken our time as we have been going through Paul's introduction to this letter. And as I mentioned when we started, with Romans being, without question, the most theological book in the New Testament... And with Paul having never visited this church before, it's not a surprise that his introduction to this letter was longer and even a little more complex, a little more involved than your typical greeting if you have studied uh, any of his letters. So that being said, we did spend a little more time than normal uh, going through those and looked at some of the details that Paul had made during his opening remarks. And just to remind us of some of those from the last couple of weeks, uh, I pointed out that if you notice there, literally Romans chapter 1 verse 1, right out of the chute, his very first statement and uh, how he described himself, and that is as a servant of Jesus Christ. He simply starts off, Paul, a servant of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Folks, that is the very essence of who Paul is. It's why I believe he stated that first above everything else. Right out of the box, he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He proudly professed his allegiance to Christ. He publicly acknowledged, if you will, his love for the master and therefore his dedication to him. Still introducing himself there in verse 1, he felt it was important to let the church know that he was also an apostle because, once again, Paul did not start the church in Rome and he has never visited them before. Uh, I believe he shares that he is an apostle uh, to show his authority, okay? Not to say in any which way, I am over you, but to point out his credentials that he is absolutely qualified, to write this letter, okay? Verse 1 says that he was called and that he was set apart by Christ himself for this position. And so what he writes, he's saying, is not of himself. He's called by Christ to do this. A matter of fact, he says there in verse 2 that what he writes, what he teaches, is directly in line, he says, with what God's prophets have written, in the times past. And so if there, is, if there was ever any doubt as to Paul's capability to teach the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, he's saying simply go back to the scriptures and see what God himself had already said through the prophets because I'm telling you the same thing, okay? And what I like is that he actually takes that and he goes a step further Paul doesn't even take a breath here, and he goes right into the nature of Jesus Christ, okay? Call it Christology, if you want, but he goes right into the nature of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Notice in verses 3 and 4, Paul just got through talking about how God has called him to preach the gospel, no different than the prophets, and now he says, regarding his son, that what the prophets have taught in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So, even before he actually gets into the meat of this letter, he goes right back to an essential of the Christian faith. And of course, he speaks of the Messiah that the prophets spoke about. And that Messiah, the one he and them both spoke about, he says is fully human as well as fully divine. Okay? You might remember that from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go to verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. And so human, he was born of Mary, and as he says here, he was a descendant of David, just as was prophesied. But also, Jesus was proven to be divine. He was called the Son of God, he says, by the resurrection, or because of, he says, the resurrection. And so not only did Jesus live a sinless life, but he proved that by what he did. What he said he would do, and that was conquer death. Jesus said that he would rise on the third day. And he did. He conquered death, a feat that no one outside of God himself could do. And so I I enjoyed the fact that he, I do like theology, but I enjoyed the fact that in his introduction he mentions uh, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And concerning this very Jesus, the one whom Paul pronounces the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, he died, he rose again from the grave. Paul said he came to preach that message to the Gentiles. Okay, No other person in Scripture do we see who's been called to do that specific thing, that specific calling to those people. Now, therefore, please understand, this also indicates and it also tells us that salvation is not just for the Jews, but salvation, of course, is to all men. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, the forgiveness of sins is offered to all who will repent of their sin and turn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul will actually discuss that later in chapter 10, verse 12, where he makes it very clear. He says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He says the same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. And so that's always a great discussion. Uh, We went through some of that as as we studied through the book of Galatians, if you remember our time there as well. And then lastly, concerning that faith, it's very important that we understand that That faith is not some cheap intellectual nod at Jesus, but it is a faith that transforms. Okay, Verse 5 says, Paul is calling people from among the Gentiles, notice what he says, to the obedience that comes from faith. I'll say that again, to the obedience that comes from faith. To quote John Stott, he says the, the response Paul looked for, in other words, as he was sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, he says the response that Paul looked for was a total, unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ. As I said before, it's as if to say he's not looking for believers, he's looking for followers. You see, because there's a difference. Lots of people say, oh, I believe you know, and you go back to the book of 1 John, and there's many people who said, Oh, yeah, I know him, I know him, but he says if he doesn't do what he says, he's a liar. But I know this Jesus guy, but you don't live that. He says you're a liar. Okay. And I mentioned, of course, Matthew chapter 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus specifically talks about how he's not interested in somebody who says, Lord, Lord, right? A lot of people say, Lord, Lord. But he says he's interested in those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. So the call to faith is yes. It, it, is, it is yes. Only the call of the gospel is to say yes, absolutely. I trust, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to pull that from James chapter 2, it is a faith that he says is accompanied by works. A faith that desires to obey. A, a faith to follow Christ. And sadly, we live in a world today where we have many people in the church who just want to say, I believe, and that's it. It's an intellectual thought. I want fire insurance. That's it. They don't want Jesus. They want what he has to offer. I want heaven. And that's it. See, So James makes that, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Paul makes that very clear here. So after somewhat of a more complex introduction there, we move now into the body of this letter. And so let's begin this morning. I want to read from verses 8 through 11. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And so as we begin there in verse 8 this morning... Paul reminds us of a couple things that we all need to do really a little more of, right? And what does he say here? One of those is we need to be thankful. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Did you happen to notice the word first there? He says first, and for you and me, we might say today, first and foremost. Or we might say, most importantly, let me just say this. And sometimes that's how we would phrase that. But how many of us live our lives with that very same thought, right? First, let me stop and thank the Lord. I guarantee you a lot of us fall short on that one. Many times we need to stop. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that Paul says, First, let me do this. I'm going to write 16 chapters. But let me just first stop and thank the Lord before I do anything. And so I appreciated that. And so as I know for, for a lot of us, you know, you and me both, um, when we're blessed by someone or may, maybe some person or some situation, maybe the Lord has, has answered a prayer for us. Too many times, you know, we sit there and, and, and we think, hey, cool. You know, awesome. Or, all right, yeah, I like that. But like Paul does here, we we really just need to stop and just thank the Lord. Always remember, every good and perfect gift is from above, James tells us, right? It's important we stop and thank the Lord. And I'm I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this this morning because we've discussed it before. But if anything, I want it to just remind us. It's just a reminder that we need to be people who are thankful. Not just in our minds, but expressing that to the Lord. Stop and say, Thank you, Lord. Recognize it's good for us to, to, to recognize what he has done. Well, here in verse eight, we see that Paul shares a specific reason for his thankfulness. He thanks the Lord for the church in Rome. Notice there in the second part, verse eight, he says, I thank Christ, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you. That's the church. Listen to this, because your faith is is being reported all over the world. Now, I only mentioned this just in passing uh, last week, and therefore I do want to point this out again. When Paul thanks the Lord because, he says, of their faith that is being reported, or if you will, it means their faith is being talked about everywhere, Okay, he's not talking about a passive faith. Okay? In other words, he's not saying that, hey, multitudes know that you became Christians. That's not the principle. That's not what he's talking about here. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there were some conversations going on around town that said, hey, you know, did you know there's, there's actually now a church? There are actually Christians in the capital of the Roman Empire? I mean, I'm sure there was some, some conversations going on there. But here, when he speaks of their, their faith being talked about or, or heard about, he's talking about an active faith, a faith that is being lived out. Once again, not just, hey, I heard they became a Christian. I heard about their faith. That's passive. He's talking about their activeness as their Christians. As a matter of fact, Paul will tell us later on in chapter 16, right here in Romans, he says everyone has heard about your obedience, your obedience. You can say your faithfulness to the Lord if you want. And he says, so I am full of joy over you. Okay, so this is very similar to here in verse 8. He thanks the Lord for their faith. In other words, what is taking place in their lives, if you will say it this way, because of their faith, you see, Their faith is working. As Kenneth Wiest has pointed out, he says, and I quote, Rome flowed all things that were vile and abominable. Yet, he says, it was quite a thing to have the saints there living singularly pure lives. This was a great testimony to the divine source of Christianity. Okay. So in the midst of ugliness, he says, in the midst of total depravity, if you know anything about Rome, you know how that is, these Christians were living out their faith with credibility. I mean, think about I mean, how awesome really is that when you, when you think about that? Because when I think of today's culture, um, churches today are known for their size. Churches today are known for their, uh, their architecture, Churches today might be known for their pastor. Maybe he's well known, written books and radio and so on and so forth. But here he says the church was known for its life, of how they lived. They knew it for their character. And of course, that's a whole lot more important to say, wow, look how beautiful that structure is. See, because the church, as you know, are us. We're the church. How beautiful are we? and how we live, and and does the outside world know that? So with all of this good news, it's easy to say, well, I I guess I can take them off my prayer list. Things are going pretty well, right? And sometimes we do that, don't we? Ah, well, things are good, and we take them off our prayer list. But things seem to be going pretty well here, so I wonder what Paul's going to do. Do you think Paul's going to stop praying for them? Nah, he won't do that. Look at verse 9. He says, God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Go ahead, just stop right there. Now, there's two things that, that Paul states in this verse that I believe that we should take note of as the church, okay? But before I get to those two specific points, Notice that Paul begins this verse by saying that he serves the Lord, God whom I serve. Now, we already discussed all this a couple weeks ago as we talked about it when Paul mentioned he's a servant of Christ, okay? And which is basically saying that is the heart of who Paul is. Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ. And this is how he personally categorizes himself. I believe if Paul had a business card, it it would say, the Apostle Paul, servant of Christ. Literally, that's what it would say. Because that's what made him tick. That is who he was. And of course, if you've ever studied the book of Acts, uh, you know that, that that is what he lived for. That is what kept him going every day. I serve the Lord. He was willing to lose his life how many times? Because he always wanted to be faithful in serving Christ. He also says right here in verse 9 that he preaches the gospel of God's Son. That is something else we had already discussed earlier about when he talks about his proclamation of the gospel. And, and this, of course, was God's calling upon the life of Paul. We talked about that. You can look back at Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 26. You can see that was certainly the calling of the Lord upon the Apostle Paul. Okay. But God wanted that zeal for Paul. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was very good at it, too, wasn't he? God wanted that zeal that Paul had for persecuting the church to now be used in the proclamation of the gospel. Use your energy for something else and use it for me, right? Letting the world know that the Messiah has come and the reason he came was not to conquer Rome. The reason he came was to die. Okay, the reason he came was to offer himself for our sin, that we would be willing to turn from that sin, repent and put our faith, our trust in him. That's what God had called him to do in spreading the gospel. All that zeal he had, that, that, that love of everything Judaism that we see in Acts chapter 9, he says, turn that around now. And I want you to have that for me in sharing the gospel of Christ. But in the middle of this verse, in the middle here of verse 9, as well as at the very end, Paul says something that tells us about himself. And I believe it should challenge you and me as well. Number one, while being a servant of the Lord, Paul says that he does so with his whole heart, okay? Some of your translations might say, with my spirit, okay? The point being made there is it's something that is internal, okay? It's something that is a longing. It is, it is if you will, a devotion. MacArthur calls it an unreserved commitment, okay? Think of what Paul says later in chapter 12, verse 1. I'm sure many of you may even know this verse. Because Paul Paul speaks of offering our bodies, right? You know this one? As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. It's it's like he's saying, give yourself entirely to the honor and to the glory of, of God or as he as he translates it here with your whole heart okay and so when Paul says here in verse 9 that he serves God with his whole heart or with my spirit he's saying his devotion to him is literally undivided that's what that means when you think of the word purity it means unmixed it makes sense when you think of something that's pure it's like this it is he is undivided When it comes to his service to the Lord, his devotion to him, his whole heart. And once again, if you've ever studied the life of the Apostle Paul, I think that you will see that, okay? But how does that, as a challenge to you and me, how does that relate to us? You know, I think too many times we all can have two sticks, three sticks in the fire, and then our devotion is split into many parts. I give, it, I give it 30% over here, and maybe I'll give this 50% over here. See? It's like the old saying, uh, jack of all trades, master of how many? None. None. Sometimes that's how we are, I think, with our devotion. It's spread around a little bit too much, and we give a little half-heartedly everywhere we go and all that we do, See? But whatever Paul did, he says, through his life, it was always, always, always connected internally with his true identity. And as we already said, that was a servant of Christ. And therefore, he did it wholeheartedly. See? I think for you and me, this is really should be a, a, a challenge to evaluate maybe our own service. Okay? Okay? instead of serving the Lord and, and giving it our all, a lot of us maybe catch ourselves doing things half-heartedly. And many of us have gotten away with it. Okay, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Or you can simply say, on the flip side... Don't do things half-heartedly. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, many of you know this, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord, right? Not for men. Because what we're doing is we're serving Christ. When we're a servant of Christ, it just doesn't mean I do things on Sunday morning. That's who we are. That's how we live. That's how we treat people. That's how we talk. That's how we act at work and on and on and on. See, So us, like Paul, need to remember who we're serving. Okay, Now, some of you might need to stop and maybe even ask yourself. You might think, well, this is tough, Darren. Am I a servant of Christ? Number one, ask yourself, am I a servant of Christ? And others, you know, you might need a checkup. Sometimes we all need to reevaluate ourselves and look at our own heart. Because much of this really is a, is a personal assessment that we need to get worked out with the Lord. It's not something I'm going to sit here and look at you and talk to you about. It's something that you've got to get right with the Lord. Look at your own heart. You know it more than anybody does. right? And lastly, in verse 9, Paul says, God is my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Now, I would say for most of us here, if you and I were involved in starting a church, and maybe the the building up of that local church, we would sense that connection. We would sense that partnership with these people, right? But from what we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, and I mentioned already today, Paul did not start this church. Paul started lots of churches. You know that. Paul did not start the church in Rome. Okay? In other words, like many other churches that he was involved in, he didn't travel to this city. I mean, he went there to, to be imprisoned, right? We know that. That's about as far as he got. But he did not travel to this city. He did not share the gospel. He did not lead people to faith in Christ. He did not stick around sharing with them and equipping them and getting the church established. He had no part in that like he has done for many others. And yet, here he is, writing 16 chapters of in-depth doctrine and theology as if he was personally responsible for these people. And so what does he say right here in verse 9? He constantly remembers them in his prayers. Matter of fact, he begins with the words, As God as my witness. Usually when we use those words, it means it's a little hard to believe. (laughs) No, as God is my witness, I did that. You know, that's how we say things, right? It means, it might be a little hard to believe, but no, really, I did. But what does he say? As God is my witness, I constantly pray for you. And then he says, at all times. It's kind of interesting, right? But listen, even though he really didn't know them, Oh, yeah, he had visited some other churches, got them going, shared Christ. I mean, everything. I mean, he, he, he wrote him. He went back and visited him again, had, had a lot of involvement. Not here. But yet he says, I constantly pray for you. But yet for us to remember, he really didn't know them. As we'll see in just a minute, he wants to go there. He wants to visit the church, but he's only been there in prison. As you can see back in Acts chapter 28, and of course eventually he'll, uh, he'll die in his last letter to Timothy, Second Timothy, where he was in prison once again under Nero, and he would die. That would be it. So yeah, he was in the prison, but he never got into the people, into the ministry, into the church at Rome. But he constantly prays for them. You know, even though verse 8 spoke of the faithfulness of these people, we mentioned it earlier. Paul recognized that faithful Christians need prayer just like unfaithful Christians do, don't they? A lot of times we don't look at things that way. Well, I gotta pray for so-and-so because this is happening. They're making bad choices and whatever's going on. And, and so like I said earlier, sometimes we give up on the, the other people. Oh, things are going well, great, and we let it go. People who are faithful, serving, God-fearing people, they need prayer too, just as much as somebody else does. It may not be the same prayer, but we need that prayer too, don't we? How serious are we in our prayer life, right? I told you before, this is part of what makes a relationship. A relationship goes two ways. It doesn't go just one way, right? A relationship goes two ways. God speaks to us through his word. We speak to God through prayer. There's that, quote, personal relationship that we have. But how serious is our prayer life? How serious is our part, if you will, in our relationship with God? Ask yourself how many times or how much, I should say, do we spend time praying for others? We do love to pray for people. We do love to pray for ourselves, I'm not saying that's wrong, but how often do we put ourselves maybe last and focus on the needs of someone else? I've said this before, but if you have a friend, or even maybe a friend of a friend, maybe on some social media site, hey, would you please pray for my nephew? Uh, He has this or this, and he has open-heart surgery. How many of you will stop and pray for that person? And why not? Why wouldn't you? Right? Right? Or how about this one? If you tell someone that you will pray for them, do you? Because that's a kicker. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pray for that. I'll be praying for you. Do you? That's a question you have to ask yourself. As you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he tells us, pray without ceasing, right? That doesn't mean you can never stop praying. You never get out of bed. You just pray 24-7, But it means there's that always constant communication with the Lord. As I like to use it, you know, it's like when you dial the phone, but you never hang up. You call the Lord, but you're always on hold. If you're in the shower and you think of something, you could be praying. I know if I'm driving down the road, I pray a lot driving down the road. And sometimes even driving down the road praying, you might see something that might remind you of, oh, You know, Louise, she's been sick. I need to pray for Louise. I drive by Legacy Realtors, you know. So you, you pray, right? That's the concept. There's just always, you're always going back to the Lord. Do we do that? Or do we say, well, I prayed this morning, or I prayed over my meal? How are we doing with that prayer part of our relationship with the Lord? And like Him, are we praying for others in that same way? And finally, Before we close, because I want to share in communion together, he says here in verse 10, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And so we know that Paul wanted to visit the church in Rome, and it sounds like he may have even tried, okay? But he wasn't able to get it worked out. Just a couple verses later, In verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. There always seemed to be something filling up Paul's calendar Maybe it was an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who hasn't heard it before. At least these people were saved. They've already come to faith. Maybe it was just that kind of opportunity, right? Paul loved to share the gospel with others. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he would love to share the gospel with everyone. Or maybe it was something else. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that while writing this letter, Paul wrote this letter in Corinth, We know that through our studies. We know he wrote it from Corinth. We know that's also where he picked up the money. And he says in here that he's on his way to Jerusalem to drop off that money. So right now, he's busy. He wants to come now. He'll he'll tell us that later again. But he's actually on his way from Corinth to Jerusalem to drop off the funds where these churches have given to this church. See? See? First 1st century ministry was very time-consuming, especially when you have to walk and you don't have a computer and all the things that we have even today. But especially for someone like Paul, who really had uh, an open heart for all men. I think Paul was, in my opinion, was someone who just had a hard time saying no. If you spent a lot of time watching Paul, studying the book of Acts, looking at his service all throughout... He was just a guy who had a hard time to say no. He wanted to serve the Lord. So as we close, let me just look back real quick at those three verses, looking, I think, at Paul's example that we can look for ourselves. Number one, he says in verse 8, I thank my God. Are we thankful? Do Do we seriously, are we thankful? And do we tell the Lord that? Right, And he also says, because of your faith is being reported all over the world, ask yourself, if people would catch you on video for 24 hours, how would they report you? You're going, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a great question to ask yourself. How would your faith look? How would, how, what would you be living out? Verse 9, God whom I serve with my whole heart. I'm not going to challenge anybody's service to the Lord here today. But I would just say this, do you serve him with your whole heart? Or do you serve him half-heartedly? Do you just do things because, well, it's what I've always done. I, I, you know, I grew up in the church. That's it. Or, I, or maybe you don't do anything. I don't know. But he challenges here, do you do it wholeheartedly? If we should do that wholeheartedly in anything, it should be to Him. But yet the scriptures tell us whatever we do, we should do it to Him. Therefore, we should serve wholeheartedly. If you hate your job, the bummer, you do the best you can. You serve it as to the Lord. I don't, we've talked about that before many times, Louise. Not that you hate your job or anything, <laughs> but something we have to think about. And how about our prayers? I constantly remember you in my prayer. How often do we do that? Do we say, I only got three minutes, and I pray for myself. I don't think of somebody else. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's a a need for a job, for a friend. Maybe it's your unsaved family. Just, I mean, millions of things it could be. Maybe it's somebody in the church you know who's, who's going through something or struggling in some way. Do we do that? I'm sure we appreciate the fact when people pray for us. But do we do the same for others? Is it about us or is it about them? Certainly a few good things that we can get, not only the life of Paul here as he's living out his life at this time, but a great reminder to all of us as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can go through just these short three verses this morning, but we can see a few things that Paul was involved in, his thankfulness, uh, his service, his wholehearted desire to serve you, his care for others in prayer, and how he really wanted to visit this church in Rome. Lord, there's some good things in here for us, and I hope that uh, as a fresh reminder for us to to re-examine our own lives. It's truly easy to look at this, to read it, uh, to think in our minds, amen, I agree with that, but does it really apply? Do we do anything about it? And I hope, Lord, that uh, I know there's this, this thing called sanctification, and it, it is a process. And I hope this will maybe kickstart that process in our own lives to draw us closer to you, to cause us to be more faithful to you, Lord, in all that we do. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.